Microsoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Ethel, Episode 16 Those were very bright faces which gathered about Mrs. Baker's breakfast table one morning early in the next June. Father's coming home from the war today cried the children exultingly. The fighting is all done, and father's coming home to stay. Yes, returned their mother, tears of mingled joy and thankfulness shining in her eyes. Oh, how thankful I am that he has never been wounded or taken prisoner to starve and freeze to death, as so many of our poor dear soldiers did. Oh, children, let us thank God every day of our lives for that. Yes, yes, indeed, exclaimed Mrs. Ray. You will all want to go and see the train come in with the soldiers, she added. But I'll stay at home and get the best dinner for John that he ever had in his life. Thank you for that kind offer, Mother dear, said Mrs. Baker. I'll be very glad to go and take the children. Then turning to Ethel, and what are you going to do, young woman, she asked in a sprightly tone. To go to the station to meet my cousins and the Keiths, if I can be spared, returned Ethel with a smile that told of a light and happy heart. Yes, indeed, you are at liberty to go, was the kindly rejoinder. I was sure you would wish to, and so have engaged your friend Carrie Brown to take your place in the store here for today. Ethel expressed her warm thanks, adding, I will see that everything about the store is in perfect order before I go, and will show Carrie the places of things likely to be called for. That will be well, returned Mrs. Baker, as they left the table together. Ethel was flitting about the store, dusting and putting things in place, humming a tune in the gladness of her heart at the thought that the war was over, and the poor, weary, homesick soldiers about to be restored to their dear ones particularly that her cousins George and Albert were expected among the arrivals that day. When glancing through the window, she saw the postman coming. She ran to the door to meet him. He handed her a letter bearing her own name in the well-known handwriting of her kind friend, Mrs. Donald Keith. Ethel hastened to break the seal and read the enclosed note. It was a brief one telling her that they, Mr. and Mrs. Keith, would be in Philadelphia that morning in time to meet the train from Washington on which their brother, Colonial Rupert Keith, and his wife and two nephews, Stuart Ormsby and Piercy Landreth, were expected to arrive. They would probably be at the depot for an hour or more before the Washington train would come in and would be pleased to have Ethel spend that hour there with them if she could be spared from the storm. This was good news to Ethel, who had not for months seen Mrs. Keith, one of the best and kindest friends she and her orphan brother and sisters had ever known. She made haste with what must be done before, then hurried to the depot, reaching it some minutes ere the train from New Jersey was due, so that she and Mrs. Keith had time for a good long chat before the arrival of that from Washington, bringing their homeward-bound soldier friends and relatives. It came at last. There was a joyous meeting between the Keith brothers and other relatives. Then the young men shook hands with Ethel, remembering having met her before on their way to the seat of war. As they told each other in after years, Ethel and Piercy Landreth each noted a change 
in the other. Both had grown in stature, she nearing beautiful womanhood, he thought, while the impression she gained of him in the few minutes of that brief interview was that he was becoming a noble-looking man, one of whom his parents, sisters, and other relatives might well feel proud. And she rejoiced for him and them that he had escaped wounds and imprisonment in rebel prison pens. They were all eager for home and could not be persuaded to miss the first train that would carry them on their westward way. Therefore, the interview was brief. Mr. and Mrs. Keith returned to their home by a train that left only a few minutes later, and Ethel, after a short but very joyful interview with her returned soldier cousins, went back to her work at the store. She found the Baker family rejoicing over their returned soldier with joy too deep on the part of the older ones for anything but tears. Mr. Baker proved a pleasant-tempered, kindly-mannered man, and in no way interfered with Ethel's comfort as a member of the family. He was a mechanic, and in a few days was working busily at his trade again, while his wife, with Ethel's assistance, still carried on her business. Thus a year passed away during which Ethel gained in stature, in self-reliance, and knowledge of the work by which she hoped one day to support herself and her brother and sisters. Her daydreams were constantly of the little home she longed and hoped to provide for them and herself. Her friend Carrie Brown had similar aspirations, and finally they decided to go into business together. Their means were not large, but their plan was to buy goods in small quantities and on short credit, paying for them partly by sales, partly by doing a good deal of machine sewing, Ethel also to continue her fine needlework as time and opportunity were afforded. They found a suitable place only a few squares distant from Mrs. Baker's, a small house with one room back of the store, which they decided should be their parlor, three bedrooms in the second store with an attic over them, a basement, kitchen, a cellar, and a small dining room. The house was in pretty good repair. They rented it, freshened the appearance of the rooms with some cheap but delicately tinted paper on the walls, putting it on themselves to save expense bought a scant supply of cheap second-hand furniture, oil cloths and carpets for the floors, and the necessary utensils for the kitchen and dining room. The house and its furnishings were indeed small and mean in comparison with those of Ethel's uncles, yet she, her friend, brother and sisters took very joyful possession of it one summer afternoon, feeling that at last they had a home of their own, and the next morning the store was open for customers. Blanche, now in her sixteenth year, undertook the housekeeping under her older sister's direction and superintendence. They would decide the night before what they might spend on their three meals and what they wanted that would come within their means, and the next morning would make the purchases. Blanche liked doing the marketing, and she soon learned to economize and to prepare dainty little dishes at small expense developing quite a talent for cookery. They could not afford to keep a servant, and most of the housework as well as the cooking fell to her share. Ethel and Carrie, devoting themselves to making articles for sale in the store and waiting upon customers. Harry and Annette, too, made themselves very useful out of school hours, doing errands and helping with the work about the house. But Ethel did more than anyone else. So anxious was she to succeed in paying her way and making a living for them all. She was cheerful and happy, but greatly overworked. Always very glad of the Sabbath rest, as they all were indeed, but eager to begin her labors again on Monday morning. 
there was no one to watch over and warn her of the danger of overtasking her strength. Her uncles were so displeased that she was so determined to earn her own living, and that of her younger brother and sisters, that they would not visit or assist her in any way. And naturally it was the same with their wives and children. They saw nothing of each other on the Sabbath, Ethel choosing to attend a nearer church of the same denomination. They were all regular attendants upon the church services and a Bible class in Sunday school. Ethel and Blanche were in the same class and soon became greatly attached to their teacher, Miss Selden, a lovely Christian woman who was deeply interested in all her scholars, but especially in this little family of orphans, struggling so hard to make their own way in the world. It soon became no unusual thing for her to call at their humble little home, invite their confidence, and being a woman of means, in the kindest and most delicate manner, render them assistance when she discovered that they were in any financial difficulty. But of that Ethel, in her pride of independence, would accept very little. Miss Selden did not know how hard and constantly the young girl worked, therefore did not warn her, as she certainly wouldn't had she known. So things went on for nearly a year, all working industriously, but Ethel bearing the heaviest end of the burden, both physical and mental, for it was she who must plan how to meet all necessary payments. Often on waking in the morning she found it required a great effort to rise, dress, and resume her daily duties, and at last there came a time when the effort to do so was utterly vain. She could scarcely stir, and to rise from her couch was an impossibility. She called to Blanche, and with her assistance finally succeeded in getting into her clothes and crawling downstairs to the store. Her breakfast was brought to her there, and having eaten it, she took up her needlework, but it required a great exertion of willpower to do even that, while to run the sewing machine was impossible. Oh, what ails me! What shall I do? she exclaimed at length, dropping the work into her lap and clasping her hands together with a gesture of despair. You have been working too hard and constantly, said Carrie, and will ha just have to take a rest. I can't. There's too much to do, groaned Ethel. You'll have to have a doctor, said Blanche, her eyes full of tears. But you must, you shall, in reply to Ethel's mournful, dissenting shake of the head. I'll go this minute for that one round the corner, Dr. Jones. I've heard people say he's a good one. We can't afford it, sighed Ethel. We certainly can't afford to let you die or break down so that you can't do anything, so I'm going for him now, this minute, returned Blanche, snatching up her hat and putting it on as she went. She was so fortunate as to find the doctor in, and was back again in a very few minutes. Bringing him with her, after examining and cross-questioning his patient, he pronounced the trouble utter exhaustion from overwork, and ordered and terror rest for weeks to come. She must go at once to her bed and stay there, refraining from any exertion of mind or body. He was very kind and sympathetic, half carried her up to her room himself, and saw her comfortably established there, then repeating his order to her to refrain from every kind of exertion of body or mind, and promising to call again the following day, he left her. "'Is there much the matter, doctor?' asked Carrie, as he passed through the store on his way out. "'She is utterly worn out,' was the reply. "'With absolute rest she may, and I hope will, recover completely in time.' But it is very important that she should be relieved from all care and anxiety. 
I don't see how we are to manage that, sighed Carrie to herself as he passed out, and she said the same thing to Blanche when she came into the room a few moments later. I don't know either, returned Blanche, tears filling her eyes, unless, unless my uncles will help us a little. I'd go to see them and tell them all about it, if I were you, said Carrie. To be sure, that's just what I will do, exclaimed Blanche, brightening. I've got to do some errands out anyway, and after attending to them, I'll go right on to my uncle's store and tell my tale of woe, she concluded, with a vain attempt at mirthfulness. With that, she ran up to her room and hastened to attire herself neatly for her errand. She had left Ethel in bed alone, the physician having enjoined it upon her to go to sleep as speedily and soundly as possible. Blanche found her uncles in their office. They looked somewhat surprised at sight of her, but greeted her kindly, asking if she and her brother and sisters were all well. At that, Blanche burst into tears and sobbed hysterically for a moment. "'What is it, dear child?' asked her Uncle Albert, taking her hand and drawing her to a seat upon his knee. "'I fear you are having a hard time of it, trying to support yourselves. Is some one of you ill?' "'Yes, sir, Ethel. Ethel has, has broken down,' sobbed the little girl. "'Oh, Uncle, I'm so afraid she'll die. The doctor says she's all worn out, for she has just worked and worked and worked from early in the morning till late at night every day but Sunday, and she can't get out of her bed now, and, and, oh, I don't know what we will do, for she's the head one that directs all the rest of us.' "'Ah, she would not be so willful,' remarked Mr. George Eldon grimly. However, you needn't fret, child. Of course, we, your uncles, will see that you do not want come to want, that you are provided with all necessary things. Of course we will, said Uncle Albert, and Ethel must do as the doctor advises, not exert herself in the least till he pronounces her entirely recovered. I will go back with you, Blanche, see Ethel, and do what lies in my power to make her easy in body and mind. And you may feel sure that none of you will be allowed to want for anything your uncles can supply. "'Yes, that will be well,' said his brother, "'and tell Ethel from me that I should be round to see her before long, "'probably either this evening or tomorrow morning. "'But she is not to stay awake expecting me,' he added with a slight smile. "'Come here, Blanche, and give your old uncle a kiss before you go there,' "'putting an arm about her as she stood at his side. "'Don't fret, little girl, while you have two uncles able "'and willing to provide you and the others "'with whatever may be needful to make you comfortable.' that moment his son George coming in exclaimed, Why is this you, Blanche? I have not seen you for months. And how you have grown, child. And he bent down and kissed her cheek. Why, you have been crying. Is anything wrong with you or the others? he asked. I hope not. I am sure. I was thinking only this morning that I must hunt you up and see how you were getting along. Thank you, cousin. George returned the little girl in tremulous tones. We were doing right nicely till, till now that Ethel has broken down because... The doctor says it is because she's been working too constantly and hard. Ah, why, she shouldn't do that when we're all able and willing to help her. But don't fret, little cuz. She'll probably be all right in a few days, and we'll tell her she must not work so hard any more. You're very kind, Cousin George, returned Blanche, smiling through her tears, and so are my uncles. But we don't like to be a burden to them when they have so many children of their own to provide for, and it has seemed very pleasant for us to be all together in a little home of our own, even though it is very plain and humble. Well, yes, that's a very right sort of feeling, he said, and makes one all the more willing to help you. There, then, that must do for the present, George, said his father. You can call round to see Ethel and the rest any time after business hours, but your uncle is going to take Blanche home now and see what is needed. 
Goodbye, child, taking her hand for a moment, and don't ever be afraid to come to your Uncle George for help when you are in trouble. Goodbye, and thank you, Uncle. Goodbye, Cousin George, and do come to see us, she said, and slipping her hand into that of her Uncle Albert, they went out together. Ethel had just waked from a comfortable nap when Blanche returned, bringing their Uncle Albert with her. The interview was a pleasant one, for Mr. Eldon was very kind, sympathetic, and appreciative of the efforts his young niece had put forth in order to earn a living for herself and her sisters and brother. He praised her for it, yet added, But now you see, Ethel, that you are too young and feeble for so great an undertaking. However, noting with concern the cloud of care and disappointment his words called to her tell-tale countenance, we will not talk any more of that today. Try, my dear child, just to dismiss all vexing thoughts. Trust to your uncles to ward off from you, your brother and sisters, all danger from want of means, and with a mind at ease, get well and strong again as soon as possible. When you have accomplished that, it will be time enough to think of those other matters. You are very, very kind, uncle, she returned with tears shining in her eyes. I will try to put away anxious and vexing thoughts and trust in you, but still more in the Lord, till I am able to work again till you are able to work again, he said with a slight smile. Really, I fear my niece Ethel has some obstinance in her nature. Yet that is not altogether a bad thing. It is much to be preferred to vacillation, I think. Yet young people should be willing to be guided and controlled to some extent, at least by older ones who have claims to their respect and obedience. Yes, sir, I acknowledge that, she said with a slight sigh, and I intend to try to obey you and Uncle George in all that I can. That is right, he responded with a And remember, you have to be troubled with anxious cares, for your Uncle George and I will see that you and the rest are provided with all necessary things. Now I will leave you to take another nap. Goodbye, dear child. Giving her a parting kiss, I shall be in again in a day or two to see how you are getting along. Now Blanche, as he and his younger niece left the room together, show me about the house and let me see how comfortable you have managed to make yourselves. Blanche obeyed very willingly, for she was right proud of Ethel's success in making so good and comfortable a home for them all. And Uncle Albert noted and commended all that was worthy of it, and made no remarks about the defects that he perceived. He said truly that he thought they had done wonders, but at the same time he mentally resolved that if they persisted in staying there, many a comfort and convenience should be added to their slender store. In taking leave, he put some money into Blanche's hand, bidding her see that Ethel was well fed, for he was sure she needed nourishing food and rest more than anything else. Oh, uncle, thank you, Blanche exclaimed, her eyes sparkling with delight. Yes, indeed, I'm sure she does, and I'll see that she has it. At that moment, Nanette came rushing in through the store, Harry following. Oh, Uncle Albert, they cried at sight of him. Nanette springing forward and holding up her face for a kiss, and it is such a long while that I haven't seen you, and I'm so glad you've come to see us at last. Ah, oh, little one, I thought you had forgotten all about Uncle Albert, he returned, but how you have grown. Harry also shaking the boy's hand heartily. Well, I'm just going, but I hope we will see each other oftener in the future. With that, he was hastening toward the outer door, and seemingly struck by a second thought, he turned toward them, again saying, Harry, my boy, put down your satchel of books and come with me. I want you to act as my errand boy for once in a way. 
do you, uncle? Oh, I'd like to, cried the boy, hastening to obey. It strikes me that you are growing out of your clothes, laddie, his uncle remarked with a scrutinizing glance down at Harry as they walked briskly along the street. Yes, sir, Harry returned, blushing. I can't help growing fast, and of course Ethel can't make enough money to be always buying new clothes for me. But I can stand it, he added cheerfully. And I hope one of these days I'll be able to make enough to dress myself, and all my sisters, too. Great expectations, my boy, his uncle said with a smile. But if you make use of all your advantages, I dare say they may be realized some day. And by the way, Harry, if you do make yourself fit for the place, I'll take you into the store one of these days, should you happen to fancy the business. Oh, uncle, will you? cried the boy. I'd like it so much, and I'll try my very best to qualify myself for it. While this conversation was going on between Miss Eldon and Harry, Blanche was giving Nanette a detailed account of the doings of that afternoon, her calling in of the doctor, the visit she had afterward paid to her uncles at their place of business, and their uncle Albert's call upon them, his talk with Ethel, and then with herself as she conducted him over the house. Nanette listened to it all with intense interest. Then, after a moment's silence, burst out, It's just too bad that Uncle Albert doesn't know how Ethel and I were always treated by his daughters, as if we weren't their equals. If he did, he wouldn't blame Ethel for trying to make a home for us and herself. But she couldn't tell him, of course. No, no, indeed. I'm sure neither Ethel nor any of the rest of us would be willing to give him the pain of knowing about it. Yet it does seem right hard that for that reason we can't show him the reasonableness of our desire for a home of our very own. Yes, sighed Nanette, it does seem hard, because it looks as if we were ungrateful to him for all his kindness. But maybe some day they'll feel sorry for treating us so and tell him of it themselves. I hope so, said Blanche, but her tone and the accompanying sigh seemed to indicate that the hope was but faint. I think I'll go up now and to see Ethel, said Nanette. I hope she's feeling better for her uncle's visit. Yes, so do I, returned Blanche, but I wouldn't go up just yet. She may be asleep. Besides, it's time for us to be getting supper. You'll set the table, won't you, while I make the toast and tea? Yes, indeed, answered Nanette cheerfully, and they set to work. Just as everything was ready for the meal, Harry came rushing in with a joyful little shout. Hello, girls, look at me, and he danced about the kitchen, clapping his hands and acting like one fairly wild with delight. His sisters looked up and uttered simultaneous exclamations of surprise and delight. Oh, Harry, how fine, how nice you look. Why, where did you get that new suit? It's a present from Uncle Albert, exclaimed the boy half-breathlessly coat and pants, and aren't they splendid? And this isn't all. He's given me a handsomer suit than this for Sunday. Oh, but he's a brick. Now isn't he? And see what he's bought for Ethel. And the rest of us, he added, stepping to the door, and bringing in a good-sized basket. I didn't show it at first, because I wanted you un your undivided attention given to my clothes. Oh, oh, such elegant grapes and peaches and pears, cried Nanette, peeping into the basket. And, and what's that at the bottom? Why, what do you think, laughed Harry. We'll have to take it out of the basket and the paper it's wrapped in. Before we can tell, replied Blanche, proceeding to lift out the fruit and place it carefully on a large dish. Oh, birds picked and cleaned already for the girderon. They must be for Ethel. And how good of Uncle to buy them for her. He said they were for all of us, returned Harry, that there would be enough for each of us to have one and leave one for Ethel's breakfast, and tomorrow he's going to send us some more, or something else quite as good. He's just as kind as he can be, was Nanette's rejoinder, Blanche adding, indeed he is. 
I do love him, and wish everybody had as good and kind an uncle. Some folks have fathers, and I suppose they do just as well as uncles, laughed Harry. Thank you for listening to another episode of Acresoft Story Classic. <laughs> <laughs>